Okay. Right, so I'm going to press play. Okay, so welcome to this episode of What's Your Story? So my name's Nicola Adkin, and I am absolutely delighted to be talking to David Maples today from California, and he is a mental alchemist. How amazing is that? So David and I have met through the power of LinkedIn, um, where I've met a lot of contacts, and I'm really, really grateful for that. And to have the opportunity to talk to people like David, to learn from him in this type of environment is powerful. And I I know you're going to really enjoy this. So David, welcome. To- yeah, Nicola, thank you for having me. Appreciate that. Yeah. So yeah, you tell me how we want to get started, and then I, I can dive right into the mental alchemy side of it and kind of how I, I stumbled upon that. Yeah, so, you know, I I, st- I I have to go back a couple of years on this, or maybe like a year, because I started this healing journey for myself, because I was adopted uh, from Korea with my uh, biological brother, and I was four, and he was 10 at the time. So when we were given up for adoption, we experienced a lot of physical trauma, which I knew about um, growing up, but I didn't understand really the impact of that. And I thought knowing about it was healing. (laughs) So when I started this journey of kind of introspective and kind of really trying to dive into my own traumas, I tried every different modality you could think of. Cause I, I, I I was said, you know what, I'm going to give up all my notions of what I think healing is, what trauma is, and just start diving into as many different modalities as I could. And one of the things I did, just what age was this when you were doing this? This was just about a year and a half ago. I started diving into this. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I did everything. I did. Uh, I, I, I did the like uh, crystal bowl sound healing. I did a shamanic reading. I did uh, 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 some somatic healing. I did. Uh, so I just dove into everything I could find. And one of the things I dove into was the sound healing. And a friend of mine said, oh, I have this friend from Egypt, and he's also into sound healing, and he also does readings. And I was like, sure, whatever that means, right? And so he told me, he's like, hey, you should look into alchemy. And at the time, all I knew about alchemy was it was the ancient art of transmuting lead into gold. So in my mind, I was thinking, well, what the heck does alchemy have to do with anything that I'm doing? And so I kind of discarded it. And then it wasn't until a couple months later that I was watching something on Gaia. Um, is Dr. Teresa Bullard, and she was talking about alchemy. And I was like, huh, I should, I should look into this. So I, I, I watched the whole like kind of uh, show on it. And what I realized and what she was talking about was how alchemy was a metaphorical process in the world of like metal, metallurgy or now in chemistry, when they take an element, break it down into its essence and then recombine it to create something that was stronger than it was before. And she said, look, when we take these different phases and apply them metaphorically to our lives, it's a kind of a roadmap to growth, expansion, consciousness, whatever you want to call it, right? And she applied it back to the hermetic values of like the Emerald Tablet. And so to me, I, I, I was new to all these kind of concepts. And so I was trying to piece everything together. And so what I started to realize is when I broke down the seven phases, I was seeing this alchemical process happening everywhere and internally it was happening, right? But I just wasn't able to label these different phases. I would say, oh, I'm struggling here or I have awareness in this area, but what it would start to break down. So like the, for instance, the first phase 
It's called calcination. And calcination is the burning down or the purification of whatever element we have. And, and in metallurgy or in chemistry, what they do is, is they fire it up until it becomes this kind of powdery ash or like it's kind of purest form. And then it gets broken down. Well, metaphorically, what that applies to in our lives is kind of the awake wake up call or the call to action or something that happens in our lives that really kind of shakes up the foundations of who we think we are and how the world works. And what I equate that to is um, it, it's it's a window into our condition. It's it's our it's our condition limiting thoughts and beliefs that we hold about ourselves, and then ultimately how we perceive the world. So for me, once I kind of understood the metaphorical side of, of alchemy and started seeing how it applied everywhere kind of in nature and then internally, it would it reminded me back of the reading where he said, oh, you should look into alchemy. And I was like, oh, it's not turning like lead into gold. It's turning the um, like the dark side or the uh, limited conditioning sides of us, that's the lead into the gold, which is the awareness or um, the enlightened side. Enlightenment or, it, 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 but even less esoteric than that, it's more about just taking actions in an intentional way rather than being a reactionary being. Um, and then we're, we're left with the consequences of that versus being intentional and being grounded in our values and, and those kind of things versus just being reactionary. And then all of a sudden, here, here we are with the life that we have, right? So that was kind of a, how my introduction to alchemy was. And so as I've been down this road now, and really incorporating and really diving further into the depths of what the this, this seven different phases are and how they apply to our lives, it's a realization of, oh my gosh, we all are in different phases of our lives and different aspects of our life, right? And our career may be one way and our relationship for another way. In our health, we may see things a different way in our finances. So it's not like a linear thing where we're in stage four of the seven in all phases of our life. No, in, you know, in some aspects, we may be really strong in this area, but feel a little less empowered in these areas. And so what it is, it's identifying which phase we're in and then recognizing that and then understanding what it takes to kind of get to that next phase. Because most of us, what happens is without knowing what phase we're in, we kind of tend to stagnate. And then when we do, we regress and then we're doomed to repeat the same kind of patterns over and over again. So I started looking in my life and especially in my personal relationships, right? So I, I was, I got divorced, um, gosh, it's been almost 10 years now. Um, and I started to see myself getting in these same patterns of, of, of relationships. And I was like, holy cow, all I'm doing is repeating the same thing with different people. So what's the common denominator here? <laughs> It was me. <laughs> so you haven't changed internally. Like you right. internally. Exactly. So I was attracting the same things over and over again, right? And and falling into the same experiences and wondering, hmm, how come how come things haven't changed? Well, that kind of realization was well, because I was in this certain stage in my maturation process of you know just becoming either through growth or just becoming uh, more aware or more conscious, whatever you want to call it. And that realization helped me, okay, it's not that so much that I'm, I'm like doomed to repeat this. It's more of, I'm not, I was uncertain of where I was and how to progress and move forward. So once that understanding came through, it was, oh, this is the same patterns I'm repeating. It's because and most of the time I always fall back onto our conditioning. 
um, is we don't even realize the things that we're doing because we're just so conditioned to do them. And that's just all what we've always done. It's all and subconscious. Then, all subconscious, right? Yeah. So we don't even think the thoughts that make us do what we do because we don't know we're thinking. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's why with mental alchemy it was a it was a great kind of conjunction of all these different things that i really am passionate about so like neuroscience i love neuroscience right because the the technology we have now it's even so much more further advanced than it was 20 30 years ago and our knowledge of what happens in our brain because i remember as a kid growing up and you probably were taught the same thing well we're born with all the brain cells we're ever going to have and that's it right and that's whatever you're so in my mind i was like well gosh that means i'm kind of stuck where i'm at and what we're now showing is neuroplasticity is like no 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 you could be 70 80 90 years old and change your neural pathways and change the way you think amazing right yeah own father who's in advanced stages of alzheimer's and dementia was brought up on the belief that you're fixed right you can't yeah and yet now we've massively woken up to realizing we can carry on that. We're going to fire and wire this thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. We can. Well, so, and so I was now the challenge for me was taking this kind of esoteric and kind of this, this um, ephemeral kind of idea and bringing it back to a way that's relatable to most people. Because what happened, what I'm realizing is we're all going through this process. We just haven't identified it. We just don't know. And if you look out nature, this process is happening. We would just, it's, we don't identify it as this alchemical process. We just process the thing. Oh, well, that's just the way nature is. You don't even and, know what we're doing for a long time. Well, right, right. We don't know what we're doing, right? Until we wake up and then we actually realize there is a process. Right. And it's, but it's that it's that waking up or that acknowledgement or the awareness that's the hardest part, right? Because okay. when we get stuck in this conditioned state, we just think we think we're 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 aware, we're making conscious choices, we're being proactive, we're doing all these things. But if you step back, it's like when you take that drink of water, right? It's like, well, I chose to drink that water. It's like, well, did you really, or was it your body was feeling thirsty or it was feeling whatever it was feeling there, the water was, so you just kind of reached out and take it. But in your mind, you're like, no, I made that choice. It's like based, but yes, you may have made the choice to pick up that glass, but what was driving that choice? What was driving that motive to pick up that glass, right? Was it thirst or was it truly, you're looking at this and saying, this is exactly what I would do in this exact situation. It's like, most of us, if we try to live our life that way, it would be a very stuck and like static and, and rote way to live life. But so I'm not saying that, you know, we, we don't take these kind of like um, this learn that what, what I call heuristics, right? Is it's like these, these cognitive like uh, functions that happen in succession. So that way we don't have to have to think about all these steps all the time, just happen naturally. Well, how much control or how much intention do we have around that? And that's where it starts to all start to play together. And it's like, and so. awareness is so key. Yes. Yeah. You, and, and the one of the ways that I learned how to be aware mm -hmm. was realizing when I started to feel a certain way. So it, when you're talking subconscious thinking as well, right? So yeah. Um, because when you you want to go through your own self growth journey, you've got to learn to be aware of what you're doing, right? So you've got to break out of this conditioning and this autopilot. And then um, one of the ways that I learned through the training that I've done was 
when I start to feel bad. So when I'm intentionally putting my, you know, my attention where I want to be, when I want to be, and then, then I slip back into conditioning because the old, it all starts again. Then I start to feel anxious again, or I start to feel something. I'm like, then I realize I'm getting involved with the wrong thoughts. I'm mm. thinking the wrong thing, but I don't even know I'm thinking the wrong thing because it's subconscious. Right. So then it's a case of, well, I'm obviously subconsciously thinking the wrong thing. So I've got to make sure I go back and keep going back to the new place that I want to go to. Right. Mm. So, um, I mean, that must make sense. Yeah. I'm, that must well, I, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. And the only thing I would challenge on is that when we say the right or the wrong thing, right? Because, and, and I know you know this, but it's one of those things where, when we talk about the conscious or the uh, uh, subconscious, right? Um, when we talk about right or wrong, we're, we're falling. We're we're not accepting what is right, and that's where t- yeah. when you talk about the point of raising awareness, for me, that's the biggest question, right? Because people say, "Look, I want to change, but I just don't know what or how to change." Yeah. And I see the first thing is raising awareness, but then because well, how do you raise awareness? Well, if you accept what is, fully accept what is, not giving into, not like giving up. Or the other one that really resonated with me was letting go of the resistance to what is, right? So that one resonated with me so much more because once you let go of the resistance to what is or fully accept what is, that's where where awareness starts to raise because when we're resisting what is, we're we're projecting how things should be or how we want them to be. And those aren't necessarily good or bad things, right? It's just, it's not allowing us to truly interact with reality in the way it really is. So a lot of times that's where, us, you know, suffering comes in and, and, and where pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional, right? Where yeah. when we don't accept what is, that's where suffering, because then that creates what? Anxiety, that creates stress, that creates fear, that creates all these emotions that disempower us in the moment because we're not truly interacting with the way the world is. And so for me, that's the first step I always tell people is look, to, to raise your awareness is accept things as they are or stop, the, stop rejecting them as they are, right? And once we do that, then our awareness starts to rise. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just radically accept, like we said before, accept yeah. it. Hey, just accept it. This is where we are. This is me. This is it. This is this is it. And that in itself is really empowering. Well. It's hugely empowering. Yeah. yeah because, and I think but the, the yeah. big misconception around that is which I think I say this because it was one for me was I thought acceptance was giving in, right? Meaning, oh, yeah. I have to accept everything it is. That means I, I'm not doing anything about it. No, 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 no. Acceptance allows you to actually take actions based in reality versus when we're not accepting, we're still taking actions or not not taking actions, right? But it's yeah. usually based on things, how things should be or we want them to be, yeah. but that's not actual reality. So it's no. we're that's why we're not as effective in our actions when we come from a place of should or have to be. Oh, absolutely. Right? Rather than accepting things and then taking action from there. Because when you accept things, um, like the way I, I feel about it, you it just clears stuff away. Yeah. yeah, it just yeah. clears stuff away. And you just yeah. like, I've accepted all that rather than fighting it. Yeah, I've accepted it, right? And then it just kind of disappears. And then it just opens up the channel, you yeah. know, for other energies. Right. Uh, 
you know, and other thoughts and other ideas to come to you, which is amazing. So, um, so what got you, I know obviously you spoke a year or so, you were looking at all these modalities because of the adoption, it was actually when you were mm-hmm. young. But what happened when you were younger? Was, was there something that happened then? That Because yeah. I speak to, there is a, there's stuff that happened from childhood. Yeah. Well, and like I said, I, the reason why I started down this process was because after I left, so I was in the, I was at the same company for 22 years and had worked my way up from kind of entry level admin to a VP at the company. And I was in staffing and I, when I started, I didn't even know what staffing was. Right. But after 22 years, I, I got to a position where I was asked, well, what do you, you want to do? Well, that, that question kind of hit me at, at that point in my life, because I'd been with the company for 22 years. I'd, I had, fulfilled 15 different roles. So basically almost every year I was changing different roles because I was always unsatisfied. What's next? I want to do, I, I, you know. Okay. So, and then once I got to that point, I was like, gosh, what do I want to do next? And so when I left the corporate world to start my coaching business and do all these things, I thought, oh my gosh, in six months to a year, I'm going to be relaxed. I'm going to have this profitable business and I'm just, everything is going to be great, right? (laughs) Well, once I quickly, (laughs) well what I quickly realized was I was getting all this tension and all this like stress kind of building up and I was like what is going on I left my job because of this and here I am feeling all this so I kind of powered my way through it like we all have been conditioned to do and taught to do it's like just kind of figure it out stick to your guns and achieve these things and you'll get there right so I I kind of plowed my way through for the first year first year and a half I just realized it started getting worse and worse and worse and I was like okay wait a second something is going on here that is, I'm not feeling this like sense of ease and freedom that I thought I was, I was going to be getting out of this. So yeah. that's when I dove in. But like I said, so to go back is when my, my brother and I, we were born in Korea and he's six years older than me. So from the time of our birth to when our birth father died, we experienced a lot of physical, emotional abuse. And when I say that, it was for me, it literally started from the day I was brought home from the hospital. My brother tells me this story. Like when I was brought home from the hospital, my dad took me and he picked me up and he threw me across the room because one, we were so poor. Uh, like when I say poor, my brother would go out to the uh, garbage and to the beach and try to find food for us to eat, right? So having another child meant there was another mouth to feed. So he remembers this because he remembers he was he was standing in the room. It was like a sing, it was like a scene out of a movie, a single light bulb hanging from the ceiling. And when he threw me, I hit the light bulb and then hit the wall. And so from day one, I was brought home. I was exposed to physical trauma. So my body went in lockdown mode, right? So, and from that point on, at any given point, I was exposed to physical trauma at at a random at random times and intervals so my body at a very early age learned to be tight and tense and locked up all the time so that happened till i was about two years old when my birth father passed away and this was you know i'm i'm 48 now so this was in the late 70s uh, south korea so our mom being a single mom of two wasn't like it is nowadays where you can just assimilate back into society and work your way up and you know fight your way so it was she would have been kind of an outcast and as given as poor as we were her in her eyes the only um alternative was to give us up for adoption which which was now looking back i realized it was probably the best thing for us because if she hadn't i don't think any one of us would have survived right so i always knew that into it i i knew that intellectually 
right? Growing up, I knew that. I knew I was old enough when we got adopted. I was four. My brother was 10, but we knew what was happening. So nobody had to explain to me that I was adopted, right? And then when our adoptive father, um, he was an ex-military person, so he believed in corporal punishment. So later on, when I say later on, six, seven, eight, nine years old, when, when I did something really bad, I got the belt, right? I got the belt. I got a switch. I got something. So now, where back then, it was just a form of, you know, parenting. Well, looking back at it, it was actually a form of like child abuse. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I, I laugh because I can laugh at it now, but I think back, I go, oh my gosh, we just accepted that for what it was. But, but also given like, my- your mum had got involved with someone who was also that type of person. Well, yeah, he never was physically abusive in, in any other sense. It was just when we were being disciplined, right? Because that's no, how he was disciplined. Like a- yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've yeah, yeah. been a quite a strict family. Mm-hmm. My dad was very strict, but he never yeah. touched. Right, right. He was very strict. My mum would belt me occasionally, you know. But what I'm saying is, you know, to actually take a belt to a child. Oh, yeah. That's the thing, right? And um, so your mum has gone almost for the same. Yeah, yeah, right. I, I find that, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, 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 that's okay. <laughs> No, it's an energy. That's an energy thing, right? Well, a hundred percent, right? And so that's the thing I realized. So, like, so growing up, I knew all this, right? So I thought knowing about it was understanding healing trauma. But as, yeah. like, I was saying, so once I left my corporate job, I just started feeling all this tension and all this, like, just like I, I, I tell you, if like if you touched my back back then, it was just it was wound like a piano string, right? Yeah. And so I was, so I tried to like. I, like I said, I started diving into all these different modalities. And then once I realized, I, so one of the biggest uh, influences on my trauma experience and, and understanding trauma was the, the book by Gabor Mate, um, The Myth of Normal. And he talks about yeah. how the impact of trauma, because he's, he, he's done a lot of trauma work. He, he's been a, he was a doctor in Canada for like 40 or 50 years and then started writing these books about trauma. And what I didn't realize was how much trauma is kept within our bodies, right? And I always do the metaphors, like if you take your fist, right? If you were to hold your fist as tightly as you could, after a couple of minutes, it would start to hurt, right? Yeah. And if you kept holding it, kept holding it, well, what would happen after a little while? It started to go numb, right? Because yeah. it, it just starts to kind of go numb. Now, if you did that for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, what would happen when you try to let go? You can't. You wouldn't be able to let go, right? Because it'd be kind of stuck there. Well, so what happens is when I was, what I realized for me, because I experienced trauma literally from day one when I was brought home from the hospital. Yeah. My body learned to tighten, tighten up and tense up as early as it could. So what happened now at 46, when I was trying to do all these different things, I was understanding there was trauma there, but I didn't understand how to let it go or process it, right? For better, yeah. better lack of, for lack yeah. of better term. So as I was doing this, I realized, oh my gosh. So what happens is if you if you do this for that long of time, right? It takes a long time before you can start letting go and start to relax and start to muscles realize it's okay. It's not successful. Well, what happens with trauma, it, does. It, does. it gets locked into our body, right? And what happens, it starts to tense up and it's in different parts of your body. Well, guess what happens after enough time? Your body starts to not recognize it as its own. And so that tension that's been locked up in there for so long, your body says, what is that? Let's get rid of that. So what happens? Autoimmune diseases, cancer, all these things start to come about. And there's this, you know, the dis-ease that we carry around turns into disease, 
right? And so most of he talks about in his book is how most of our illnesses come from unresolved traumas in our bodies. And it blew my mind. And I was like, oh my gosh, if I've been holding this around for four plus decades, if I do this for much longer, something is going to (laughs) happen. Not in a good way. Exactly. But, and also in fact, any illness or like 80, 90% of illnesses come from stress that's not right properly or anxiety again anxiety so even right. though if you have a panic attack they'll tell you you're fine don't worry about it but actually what's happening over time your body is under really serious yeah. stress right and you will yeah. end up manifesting the illnesses anyway exactly right and and if your body is in that constant fight or flight response and at a subconscious level right because yes. that's what neuroscience teaches yes. us that 95 percent of our cognitive activity is below our awareness right yeah. so it's happening when when we're when we're resting when we're relaxed when we're yeah. at work when we're doing whatever it is it's happening right without us without us raising that awareness so it was yeah. like, so now after four, five, six, seven decades of that, your body starts to break down because it's been dumping yeah. all these chemicals and all these hormones into your body that were meant to be just quick flashes for us to help survive or escape a situation. But in our modern day society, our brains don't make don't differentiate between something that we think is happening or something that we've held onto that's happening versus what's actually happening. Right. And so for me, that was that realization is, oh, my gosh, that all that stress and that tension has been there all along. I just haven't paid attention to it. Right. Because I just thought that was just part of who I was. We think it's normal. We think it's normal. Yeah. Yeah. That's why that title, The Myth of Normal, is so poignant. Yeah. Yeah. It's normal. And and we're almost kind of when you've got this undercurrent of stress and anxiety as well, like sometimes you um, you kind of. Don't know, you kind of get used to it, right? And then you no, 100%. Kind of well, not only do you get it used to it, feed on you, it, they need it. They need it. They're addicted to it. Yeah, they're addicted to it. Exactly. Literally addicted to it, right? Because the hormones and the and everything else that gets flushed into your system, you, or look, our brains look for what it knows. Exactly. Empowering or disempowering, right? So if that's all you know is these dumping of like cortisone and testosterone and all these things into your body. Once you don't have it, your body starts to feel, it's like taking away caffeine, right? I'm not a coffee drinker, but as soon as you take away caffeine from yeah. like uh, from coffee drinkers, what happens? They get headaches, right? Yeah. They start to like, they're not okay. feeling it like they're, yeah, yeah right? And the so body, and not the that, body wants it. Yeah, the body, because exactly. the body is the subconscious, essentially. Give me the caffeine, give me the cigarette. Right, right. And so for me, it was unlocking that and going through this process mm-hmm of understanding that I was subconsciously holding on to all this stuff. Now, I'm not saying I'm cured or I'm healed or any of that kind of stuff, but having that awareness allows me to understand the, the acceptance of the stress and the, and the tension, right? Before I'd resist it, be like, gosh, I, why am I so tense? I just need to relax. Like, well, yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> but if you've done that for 40, 40 years, telling to somebody to relax doesn't do them any good, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I suffered with a lot of anxiety in the past, as as you know, and mm-hmm. I could not relax. You right. Know? And trying to relax would actually make me more anxious. Yes, yes. <laughs> so yes. this is why people run around all day, keeping themselves so busy, they don't have a moment to spare because they can't. 
physically relaxed. You know, well, it, I, you, you almost end up with thinking something awful is going to happen to me if I stop. Well, and the other, yeah, hundred percent. And the <laughs> other aspect so of it, it, it's really well. It's it's not weird. That's the problem is now it's become normal, right? Well, exactly. And, yeah. 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 <laughs> I always knew I didn't want it to be that way. This is right. I didn't want it to be that way. I was like, shit. Why can't I relax? You yeah. Know? And and when I went through my really poorly stages, right, when I was really ill with it, and and I didn't sleep and I couldn't eat and stuff like this, um. You know, it, it it's just torture when you get to that point where just lying, someone would say, lay down and just try and meditate. And I was like, you've got to be kidding yeah. me. <laughs> you have got to be kidding yeah. me. Yeah. I, think of any, I would lie down and have a panic attack just trying yeah. to, because uh, that's how screwed up it gets, right? Yeah. Well, that's how, it, that's how attached we get to our minds, right? Is because... We think all those thoughts running around our head, all this, you know, and I, the neuroscience says we have anywhere between 10,000 to 70,000 thoughts, depending on what study you, you, you look at. I say, let's say it's roughly just 50,000, right? Um, if when we get caught up as those thoughts as us, as it was when we identify or we attach our identity to those thoughts, it's how do you tell somebody to relax and quiet those thoughts when we think those that those thoughts are us, right? And so to the point of when I started realizing this for myself, that's when I started this meditation practice. So I've been meditating now for about two and a half years on a pretty regular, on a regular, I'd say probably six times out of, out, out of, out of, the, out of the week I meditate. Uh, and on a good week, I'll do seven. But, um, but what I realized was for me, meditation wasn't about stopping these thoughts, right? It wasn't about blocking these thoughts out. And that's where I was told from a very early age, my mom told me meditation is son. meditation is about having no thoughts. So I, I remember it's like an 11, 12 year old, I went to my front yard and I was like, I could, let me try this. <laughs> well, it's impossible, right? Because I was thinking, well, don't have any thoughts. Don't have, then I realized quickly, well, that's a thought, right? So I'd be like, okay, yeah. just yeah. darkness, just darkness. Well, that's a thought, right? So in my mind, I was like, this is impossible. So I kind of discounted meditation. Yeah. And then it wasn't until, like I said, about two and a half years ago, when it was the, the I, I don't remember what source it was, but it was the idea of like, look, meditation isn't about stopping thoughts. It's recognizing them and letting them go and not being attached to them, right? And not chasing them down because how often have we all had a thought and then it's not until five, 30 seconds, a minute, an hour later, <laughs> we've realized we've got in this thought cycle. It's like, well, how conscious were you during that thought process right when yeah. you get caught up in especially when we think about a past event or some future worry how conscious are we really right because who of us would want to like keep ruminating on something in the past that we have no more control over but yet still gives us anxiety and stress and everything else or worry about something that hasn't even happened yet that creates another source of anxiety and stress like so who in our right mind would actually want to consciously keep going down that route right so true yeah that is so true but yet here we get caught up in this all the time so that was for me we can't stop it we feel that we can't stop it that's the thing well we can't over and over over again you're like just stop thinking this right and but the to your point is we can't because we haven't been we haven't detached our identity from those thoughts yes right because if if you had somebody externally tell you all the things that your mind was telling you, you would 
get as far away from that person as possible because most, you know, that's the other thing of those 50,000 thoughts that I kind of estimate, roughly 80% are negative. And that's what that's yeah. from neuroscience, right? Yeah. It's like 80% right. is negative. So yes. if you had somebody telling you stuff, 80% of the time was negative, you'd be like, get out of my life. But since it's our own thoughts, we, we think they're real. We, we attach our identity to them. We believe yeah. them. And it's like, so it's like, Oh my gosh. So once I realized meditation was about recognizing when thoughts come in and letting them go, right. It's like passing cars on a busy intersection or clouds in the sky. Like I love that metaphor is we're the sky and the thoughts are the clouds, right? So as the clouds pass by, we are still the sky that is the house for these clouds, but it doesn't mean that we have to chase them down because, you know, if in that metaphor, how variable are the clouds from day to day or from moment to moment, especially in England. My gosh, you're like, <laughs> right. It's like one minute you have this beautiful weather and all of a sudden the storm clouds right, come yeah. in windy and then all of a sudden it's clear again. You're like, well, what the heck? Right. It's the same thing with our thoughts. It's like, it's, it, how much do we want to get caught up? It'd be, it'd be like going outside and looking at the clouds and getting upset and saying, Hey clouds, you shouldn't be here right now. Yeah. Really? According to who? According to what? Right. The same thing we do with our thoughts, though, it's like, well, if we just let our thoughts be and not attach so much value and meaning and our identities to them, then meditation, it becomes this fun exercise of, oh, I recognize the thought, I can let it go. Oh, I recognize the thought and let it go. And the beauty of that is then bring it forth in your uh, awareness or into everyday life is realizing when you're at work or with your spouse or with your kids or with your friends that everything that pops in your head is not the truth, right? But when we don't have that awareness, we chase it down and we believe it. And so all those thoughts of you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, you're not this, you're not that, we believe it like it's the truth. And what the most insidious part about it though is it happens at such a subconscious level. It's not like we're walking around telling ourselves, David, you're a horrible person or David, you're not worthy of it. It's the underlying beliefs that we've been conditioned in at a very early age that because of our you know upbringing or because of society yeah yeah it's i mean yeah it is the thing is day after day after day after day we can have the same thoughts because Mm. we're just living in the same autopilot subconscious mode right right so yeah we're just living in the same place every day until we realize until we wake up and realize that we're creating all of this every day. Well, and, and that's what you know. We said that the brain likes familiarity. Yeah, right. The program. brain familiarity, so it just keeps running the same programs because one, exactly. it's it's efficient. It's, exactly. it's we know it, right? And so and so, what happens? So of those fifty thousand thoughts, eighty percent are negative. But neuroscience says ninety five percent are the same thoughts exactly from the day before. So yeah. now we're like, holy cow. Yeah, so, we're not yeah. driving our own life. We, yeah, we just, we just pop. And actually, I think Bob Proctor said something really, really interesting. Uh, it wasn't one of his quotes, but he said, um, you know, when you, if you took a hundred people, most people, and he said, what are you thinking about? Mm. Then, you know, so many of like 90 something people wouldn't be thinking about anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or, uh, they, no, you know, they wouldn't know what, or they think that, I think this is it. They think they're thinking, but all they're doing is scrolling and doing this or whatever. They're not right. And then a few people are really thinking and the other ones would rather die than think. 
Right. <laughs> it's like a really interesting, like the amount of people that are, is probably the 5%, right, are actually even aware of thinking because everyone right. is very grossed in yeah, their yeah, yeah. suffering yeah. that they don't even realise they're actually just going through the motions. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so to, to, this is why to kind of bring it all home here is one of yeah. my biggest things I, I tell my clients that, that that like, well, what what do you, what do I get out of this, right? Yeah. Well, most people are chasing this notion of time management, right? I want to manage the time I have. I want to be, but here's the thing: it's such a fallacy because, like we talked about before, the only time that we actually have is right now, right? Yeah. The past is something that we that is we had no longer have control over. And when it happened, it happened now, right? Yes. And the future is something that is a projected like future now that hasn't happened yet. So when the future does come though, how does it come? As the present moment, right? So and right now, right? Yeah. So what I tell people is look, we're not, the fallacy of time management is we're thinking we can manage time. Well, what I say is look, instead of become a time manager, what if we, it was about time engagement? Right. So the time that we actually have. So it's about, let's say you have 30 minutes to X, Y, or Z. So you try to manage that 30 minutes as much as possible and keep those 30 minutes as in life. But what it is, is within those 30 minutes, how engaged are you? How present are you? Yeah. Right. Because whatever that task is, whether it's for work, whether it's for your family, whether it's for your health, whatever it is, how much more effective are you if you're actually able to engage in that time and not worry about the past, not worry about some future, and actually engage in what you're doing for those 30 minutes? How more effective would you be? How much more time would you have if you actually were engaged in what you were doing for the time that you said you were going to do it? Yeah. I right? Love that. Yeah. Yeah. And I know um, one of your previous posts it was about making as much impact as you can. Right. In the world, almost. Yeah. Yeah. That minutes, and I just think that is absolutely an amazing way to look at it because we don't know how much time. Mm -hmm. None of us, and wasting time worrying and our minds being everywhere. Yeah, he's yeah. We're we're doing exactly that, and I just love the way that you you put that. I just think it's amazing. And um, when you look at the flow flow science mm -hmm. everyone's trying to leverage time as well and get more done yeah. you know, right? Right. so the idea of uh, the idea is yeah not to work any more hours just to be absolutely present yeah during the time that you are working mm -hmm. then you're gonna get it done right and you're gonna get it done really really well because you've been yeah right so i yeah so to your point then it's not about tactics or hacks to i hate the word hack by yeah. the way yeah, um, yeah. it's not about tactics to try to manage time it's more about how do you keep your awareness to be present in the time that you're in right and so that's the the trick or the hack or the whatever you want to call it is okay how can i bring myself and that's where meditation people say what's the point of meditation well meditation in that look if you could take that state of meditation when you, like to sit quietly somewhere and just be aware of your thoughts, that's all great, right? But then what? Well, if you can take that state into whatever you're doing, think about where if you're at your job or if you're at your work, or if you're at your business and you can be fully present to what you're actually doing for the quote unquote eight hours, right? How much more effective, how much more would you get done 
if you were truly engaged with what you were actually doing and not like, look, distractions are going to happen, right? People, you're going to get interrupted. You're going to do all the things are going to happen outside of your control. But that's where meditation steps in because when you're meditating and you have a thought and you get lost in your thought, it's how quickly, first of all, how quickly do you recognize you're lost in the thought? And then two, how quickly can you bring yourself back to whatever it was that you're doing, focusing on your breath, focusing on whatever it is, right? And then, so now apply that to everyday situations where you're at work and something distracts you. Well, how quickly do you notice you're distracted, one? And then quickly, how, to, how quickly can you get back to whatever it was that you were doing, right? And that's where the time engagement comes in rather than time. Because look, you only have 30 minutes. Whether you have distractions or not, you have 30 minutes to do whatever it is you're doing or five minutes or whatever it is. How much are you, how much time are you engaged in whatever it is you're doing versus how much time are you being distracted or taken away from what you're doing, right? So that's not managing the time because the th- you and I have the same 30 minutes. Yeah. It's what we get done in that 30 minutes depends upon our level of awareness in that 30 minutes, Absolutely. right? It's, yeah. yeah, it's not how the level we manage that 30 minutes. I love talking to you because I always come away with <laughs> mind blown. So, uh, yeah, that is, yeah, that is amazing. I mean, yeah, and that's a really different, I think, approach to leveraging time and that that I see. Right. That, that that you've got it there, right there, listeners. That is, that's pure gold that yeah. you've just given us right there. So um, I think we're probably running out of time. That has been so, so, so interesting. And um, I think what we do now is, do you want to just give everyone who listens your details or where they can contact you? Yeah. The easiest way, the most active place I'm at is on LinkedIn. It's just David Maples. um, And you'll see Mental Alchemist. There's not, fortunately, there's not a lot of David Maples out there in the world. Uh, (laughs) So that's the most, that's the place that you can find me the most. Yeah. Um, Because I post Monday through Friday about, I usually pick a topic and talk about that and apply it and try to give a perspective around mental alchemy or mindfulness, right? Um, the other place is my website. It's carpe dm, my initials, dmlife.com. Um, and uh, as soon as I kind of saw that pun in my name with the dm and carpe dm, I was like, oh, I got to use that someday. So I've been holding on to that. Yeah, I was wondering yeah. what the connection was. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyways, it's carpe, D, the letters dm, life.com. And that's my website. You can, you can check me out there. But like I said, I, I, I love LinkedIn because this, like you said, that's how we met. Um, right? And, you know, so I was so anti-social media for so long, but I realized it's if you let it use you, it, you just become a, a victim of the algorithms. But yeah. if you are really intentional and present to what you're doing in social media, there are people out there like you that are in the same, like no matter what your thing is, you will find people that are in, involved in the same thing. And by being intentional, you, you LinkedIn especially, I think is, is a great platform to connect with other people that are like-minded, have the same kind of thought process and so on and so on and so forth, while being op- exposed to different views, right? Because we, we don't always want to be in the same lane, but um, it's such a great platform and to be interactive on that platform and engage with people that you normally wouldn't be. I mean, look, at, we're halfway around the world from each other. And we would never have met uh, if it weren't for something like LinkedIn. So it, it's being intentional about it. 
but yeah and and that was the lesson that I learned probably a little way into my LinkedIn journey is yeah you need to be intentional about it but yeah. once you start being intentional about it it opens up in massive way for sure for sure um and I I've really really enjoyed my journey in it and I'm and in it and we've only just started so you know the best is yet to come but Absolutely. thank you so 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 much for that that yeah, was thank you so interesting and I know that anyone who listens to this is just going to, there's so much value in there and so much insight and so much experience and so much emotion as well from, you know, learning and hearing your journey. So thank you so, 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 so much. Thank you. And, yeah. And, and obviously we'll be in touch on LinkedIn and um, yeah, thank you everyone for watching and please like and share because 